We're in 1 Corinthians. We're walking our way through the book of 1 Corinthians this year. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 to 17 today. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 10 to 17. We've all had parents. Every single one of us, everyone who has ever lived has had parents. Some of us are parents now. Some of us are still with our parents. And some of us are existing in that weird period of time where they're not living with their parents, when they're not parents yet, but they still have parents. Now, the funny thing about parents is every parent gets to this spot in their life in dealing with their kids, where their kids do something or their kids ask something, and the parents said, well, do what you think is best. And they say it with that certain tone of voice. And that tone of voice says the exact opposite of what they're saying. They're holding something back. They don't want you to do it. They just want you to be able to make your own decision. And everyone, every parent has their own way of doing that. Little do they know is that they're lying. They're being hypocrites. That might be going a little strong. Boy, I'm really feisty today. Sometimes every kid has wished, there's a point in every kid's life, no matter what age they are, they have wished that there was a button they could press that would pop a thought bubble above their parents' head where they could actually see what their parents are meaning. Everyone, anyone reach that point? Anyone? You can be honest, it's okay. Yeah, good. The little kids are on, and Jacoby, those are the honest ones. The adults are saying, no, I'm not going to be honest. Inside, they're feeling guilty because they realize they're that parent. <laughs> it's valuable to know what is expected of you. The amazing thing about God is we don't have to wonder. We don't have to have this mystical button that we press that puts a thought bubble above his head because he has made extremely clear what his expectations for us are through the Bible. We believe it is true, 100% from beginning to the end, that is useful for doctrine, for correction, for training, for reproof, all of those different things. We can read it and say, this is what God expects. And when God is silent, there's no expectation for us on that matter. He's made it clear. And in Corinthians, Paul started off, as we talked about, he reminded the Corinthians who they were. They are the saved. They are those who are called to be sanctified. He reminds them that they are those who God has poured grace upon. And then once he finishes the introduction, he dives smack dab into the expectations of God. A core issue that God has with his people, the church, and that is unity. What does God want? What has he clearly said throughout Scripture, is God wants his people to be unified. Will you read with me 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 to 17? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 to 17. Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, and another, I follow Cephas, and still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? 
I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, and so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yeah, I, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Will you pray with me? Oh, Father, thank you that you are the God who does not change that you are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Thank you that you are the God who has revealed yourself clearly to us. You've unveiled the mysteries of your grace and your salvation that we might know you intimately, not be worried about what you think, but have confidence in following you. Thank you that you are the God who guides us through life, and when we do not have wisdom, you pour it on us. Lord, I ask that you would give me strength and clarity of mind today as I preach your word. I ask that I would decrease and that you would increase. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Thanks, Father. Amen. Scripture tells us that God desires unity. Do we understand how much that he desires unity? unity in his church. The word that Paul uses here for divisions in verse 10, where he says that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly united in mind of thought, that word for division is is where we get the word schism from. In Greek, it speaks of something being violently ripped apart. Luke, Mark, Matthew, they all use the verb form of this word when, when they talk about Jesus being crucified and the curtain of the temple being torn in two from top to bottom, violently ripped apart. So consider what Paul is writing to the Corinthians. He is urging the Corinthians to not violently rip apart the body of Christ, limb from limb. It's a very graphic picture that he is painting. It's a painful picture that he is painting. When a church decides to rip apart, it hurts. When believers who worship the same God and who will one day worship the same God together in eternity rip apart, it hurts. It's painful. God desires unity. What Paul is saying is not something that is new. Over and over in John, Jesus urges his followers to love one another. John chapter 15, verse 12 is one of these. John 15, 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And then in John 17, Jesus prays, John 17, 20 to 21, the verse that I quote every month when we do communion. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. If you compile all the verses in the Bible about the unity among those who are followers of Jesus Christ, there are over 100 verses about unity. God desires that his church, his followers, are united, unified. What does this unity look like? It is unity centered on Christ. Unity centered on Christ. Verse 10, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the 10th time in the first 10 verses of Corinthians that Paul mentions Christ. He's clear in whom our faith is. Our faith is in Jesus Christ, 
not in our works, not in our baptism, church attendance, family's faith, none of that stuff. Our faith is in Christ. He is clear on who our focus should be on. It is Christ. Not only does Paul just mention Christ, but he urges the Corinthians to be united in the name of Jesus Christ. This should remind us of lots of people when they pray. When they pray, they finish their prayer, in Jesus' name, amen. They pull this from John chapter 14. John 14, verses 13 to 14. And I'll do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So a lot of people will take the phrase, in Jesus' name, slap it on the end of their prayer. And some people go so far as to think that's like a miracle phrase. Because if you put it on the end of a prayer, you put it uh, with what you're saying, it will come true because you have said it is in his name. But this is not a miracle formula that Paul is using. This is a cultural understanding. Someone who carries, uh, someone's name carries someone's reputation, their character, their will. When you pray in someone's name, you are saying that you're praying something in line with someone's reputation, character, and will. So when you say, Father, please give me a bicycle tomorrow, in Jesus' name, amen. God won't necessarily give you that prayer unless that, that, that giving the bicycle is in line with Jesus' character, reputation, and will. Our goal in praying is to know what is Christ's character, what is his reputation, what is his will, and pray in line with that. When you urge someone to do something in someone's name, you're urging them to do it in line with their character, reputation, and will. Say you're looking for a commentary, and you go to the local Christian bookstore if it hadn't closed. So now, since it's closed, you go to christianbook.com. And you're looking through all these commentaries. And there's too many. And you're pulling out your hair, those of you who still have some. And I really should watch my mouth today. <sighs> you're pulling out your hair and wondering, which one should I choose? And so you call me up. You say, hey, Pastor Peter, what commentary should I choose? And I say, you should choose that one. I'm placing my name on your choice. I'm staking my character, my reputation, and my will on that commentary you're choosing. Lots of famous people these days, actors, musicians, that sort of thing, they're going on commercials. And they say, my name is such and such, and I endorse this thing to be the next best thing since sliced cheese. They're staking their reputation, their character, their will on that product. For Paul to plead in the name of Jesus means that he is urging the Corinthians for the sake of all that Christ is known to be, all that Christ is known to have done to be unified because that is according to his character, his reputation, and his will. Our unity is based on Christ. Our unity is based on Christ. And this is very important to remember because lots of people get confused. The Corinthians got confused. The Corinthians thought that their unity was not based on Christ, but was based on who taught them. Verses 11 to 12, he says, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, another I follow Apollos, another I follow Cephas, still another, I follow Christ. It doesn't work for our unity to be based on who teaches us. That's not what it was based upon. So let's do an exercise. Just because I'm feeling energetic today. All right. You, the, you, these two rows right here, 
you are followers of Apollos. I want to hear you say together, I follow Apollos. Perfect. Okay, you back your followers of Paul. I want to hear you say, I follow Paul. They're a lot more convinced on who they follow than you are. <laughs> okay, you two, you are followers of Peter. Can I hear you say that? I'm followers of Peter. You know, smaller, but they're even louder than you are. Okay, last of all, you are followers of Christ. I want to hear you say, I follow Christ. I follow Christ. Okay, good. You, they're a lot, they, they definitely know who they follow. All right, so. I'm going to count to three, and after I say three, you all together are going to say who you are following. Sound good? Paulos, Paul, Peter, Christ. One, two, three. Does that sound unified? No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Give yourself a gold sticker. It doesn't sound like unity. The Corinthians, let's look what they're doing. And what I'm about to say is what's called informed conjecture. I'm looking at scripture, looking at history, looking at what I know of humanity, and painting a picture of what might be going on behind the scenes at the church at Corinth. Apollos was the new teacher on the block. He was passionate. He was flowery. He was easy to listen to. People liked listening to him because he was exciting, and they could remember what they said. All the young people in the church loved Apollos. Then there was Paul. He was the one who founded the church. He was not easy to listen to, but he was solid, and he carried tradition with him. The older generation loved Paul. And then there's Peter. Peter's the founder of the global church. He's the one as Christ that placed as the head of the church, right? Compared to Peter, Paul was the newcomer on the block. Peter's been around forever. And not only was that, but Peter got his teachings from Jesus, God himself. So shouldn't we follow him, what he said? Yeah. But then there was the other group who said, truthfully, why get all caught up with what humans said and wrote? Shouldn't we follow Jesus alone? So there was the super spiritual ones who said, we're not going to spend our time on human stuff, these books in these writings and sermons, we're followers of Christ. So it's throw the junk humans wrote out and focus only on this. Division on who they are following. Put it into our own situation. There are people in this world who are followers of a God by the name of John Calvin. And they're Calvinists. And they're, they're proud of being Calvinists, followers of John Calvin. Then there are people who are followers of Charles Wesley and John Wesley, and they're what's called Arminians, supposedly. And they're proud of their followers, their their theological tradition. And they, they, they fight about theology because they don't like each other's label. And if you don't know this controversy, God bless you. And if you want to know about it, I'd love to talk about it, but there you go. Then you have those who aren't Calvinists, they're not Arminians, and they stand up and say, I'm a Biblicist. I'm not following all those isms out there. I'm a follower of the Bible alone. They're wrong. They're wrong. I'm right. And even in that, there's division. Division. Tearing the body of Christ apart. Consider denominations. Lutherans follow Martin Luther. Methodists are followers of John Wesley. You have Presbyterians, Baptists, Roman Catholics. Every single one of them are a follower of a certain man's theology. And they split because of it. And then, oh, then, you have the non-denominationalists, which we are 
here. We're, non, non, we're non-denominationalists. But there are some non-denominationalists that are so non-denominationalists, that's really hard to say, non-denominationalists, that they put themselves up on a hill and they say, we're not part of all those other squabbles out there. We're just here. And we're not going to have anything to do with any of the others because we're non-denominationalist. And even that, there is division. This comes to play in the local church. Not just in between churches, but in churches. The people start getting caught up of saying, I like this person's teaching. I don't like that person's teaching. So they don't come to Sunday school when a certain person is teaching. Or if their pastor is out of town, they don't come because they like their pastor's teaching and no one else's. And in that, there is division and should be condemned. Jesus said something that some days I have a very hard time choking down. Mark chapter 9, verses 38 to 40. Mark 9, 38 to 40. John said, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. We told him to stop because he's not one of us. And Jesus said, Don't stop him. For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. There's a lot of teachers that I do not agree with, but they're a follower of Jesus Christ. And therefore, they are part of me. The Corinthians thought their unity was based on who they were following, and they were pretty proud of who they were following. And Paul says, no, your unity is based on Christ and should be held regardless of the teacher's. The Corinthians also thought that their unity was based on what they believed. The unity was based upon what they believed. Each of them, the followers of Apollos, Paul, Peter, were following them because of a specific theology. If you studied the early church writings, Paul's theology was a little bit different than Peter's, was a little bit different than Apollos. They all agreed on the most of everything, but there were a little bit differences. And some of those differences are actually recorded in Scripture, like Galatians chapter 2. The Corinthians were proud, not only of their teachers, but they were proud of the knowledge they had come to through those teachers. And they were saying, look at me, I have this specific knowledge, I'm following this knowledge, this theological set, and that makes me better than everyone else. In chapter 2 and 3, Paul is going to have an extended discussion on wisdom, because the Corinthians were proud of their human wisdom. They studied their Bible and their theology, but they forgot Christ. I'm continually arrested by what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. He didn't say that he wants to know the next theological controversy. He didn't say that he wants to know the end times timeline backward and forward. He knew these things, yes, but he said that his whole being yearned to know Christ. Christ and him crucified. Now, I have to make clear that there are certain doctrinal points that must be held to be a believer. I'm not saying that we, have, we can just throw all care to the wind. 
Division must occur on specific points between a believer and a non-believer. One must believe in the Trinity, in the full deity and humanity of Christ, in the spiritual lostness of the human race, in the substitutionary atonement and bodily resurrection of Christ, in our salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone, in the physical return of Christ, in the authority and errancy of Scripture, all these things. And if you don't know what I was saying, let me know. I will talk about it because I knew I threw out some big words there. These points cannot be changed. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 1, 3-4, 1 Timothy 1, 3-4, he writes to Timothy, I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. Certain points cannot be changed. But there are other points that we all must have an opinion on because they're important to truth, but that opinion should be held in humility, knowing that the person who is talking opposite you is of the body of Christ and will one day worship with you for eternity. And if that is true, if that person is part of the body of Christ and you will worship with that person for eternity, why should we divide and tear the church of Jesus Christ apart today? That doesn't mean we don't talk about our differences. We talk about them. We seek to know what is, what is true by those conversations. It just means we don't allow those conversations and differences to divide us. Paul's appeal for unity was for harmony not the elimination of diversity. He desired a unity of all the parts, like a quilt of various colors and patterns blended together in a harmonious whole. Rupert Melendius. Anyone know that name? No, no one does. But he wrote a tract back in the mid-1600s during a very, very bloody war. And he said, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Basically, we are to be the same in all the core doctrines of our faith. In all the other areas, we must allow people to believe according to their conscience. And through all things, we are to have love towards each other. Why? Because we are followers of Christ, not our mind. We're followers of Christ, not our mind. That's why when we ask potential members to come to read our doctrinal statement, we ask them whether they agree with it or whether they agree not to teach against it. Because we as a church desire unity. And we're not so proud to think that we have a perfect doctrinal statement. Through the history of this church, it's been changed multiple times, tweaked here or there. It's what we believe. But I would not be surprised if one day I stand before God in heaven, he said, you know, you got that little point wrong. And I'm grateful for his grace and his love and his forgiveness through Jesus Christ because I am not perfect, I'm not God, only he is. It's all about him. Last year and the year before during COVID, a lot of churches faced this fact because people started dividing the church over what they believed on COVID and vaccines and trying to extrapolate and twist different theologies and people were leaving churches right and left because they forgot that it is about Christ. It's about Him. Not our thinking. Not our mind. Not what we believe it is true. It is about Him. And Him alone. And when we start dividing over all those other things, the body of Christ is viciously, brutally ripped apart. Paul reminds us of 1 Corinthians 1.13. 1 Corinthians 1.13 is Christ divided was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? 
He says we need to remember the basics that it is Christ who died for us, not all these theories we have. We were baptized in Christ's name, therefore we are to reflect him as we live together. We are to live in unity based on Christ, held regardless of small differences in doctrine and teachers. How is this unity seen? It is revealed through our mind and our purpose. He says in verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say. There be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. That word thought could also be translated purpose. Paul wants us to be united in our mind and our purpose. Our mind speaks to what we believe. Again, this is the core of our faith. The early church would repeat the Nicene or Creed of Constantinople every time they met together so they can remember what they agreed on because it was so easy to remember all the things they disagreed on. And it's useful because we can all get caught up on the things we disagree on. So let's do that exercise again. You remember who was of Apollos, who was Paul, Peter, Christ? All right. Say it again. One, two, three. Again, not unified. But there's something that can unify us. This is what's called the Creed, uh, the Nicene Creed, as amended by the Council of Constantinople and also the Council of Chalcedon way back in the day. Uh, here, there you go. And we're going to read it together. Extras? You two okay with sharing? This is the core of our faith as the church has understood it for almost 2,000 years. We'll start with reading it together at the very top, skipping the title. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy, catholic, and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen. It's what we believe. Unity in what we believe. Based on what we believe, we have unity in purpose. 
That is our actions, our priorities, our desires. We have the purpose to live for God every day. There are plenty of people who are divisive because they're proud of their beliefs or because of what Bible teacher they're following, but unfortunately in all that pride, they're not living as a Christian. In pride, their studying is worthless because they've never applied it to their life. Their mind is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, but their spiritual body is shriveling up. What are we spending our time on? Are we pursuing Christ, knowing him, living for him, or are we pursuing our own knowledge, our own pride, and thereby creating divisions in the body of Christ? God desires our unity, a unity that is based on Christ and held regardless of little differences in doctrine or teachers. In a short phrase, if we boiled all that down to one short phrase, we are to have humility in unity. Humility in unity. Not only does God desire unity, but God desires our unity for the sake of the gospel. God desires our unity for the sake of the gospel. Remember reading John 17 at the beginning of this message. John 17, 20 to 21. Jesus said, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. When we are unified, when we are pursuing unity among brothers and sisters in Christ, we prove to the world that the gospel is true because it is not normal for people to be unified. So when we have humility for unity, seeking to follow Christ, living that out, the gospel is clear. Paul said that his focus of ministry to the church in Corinth was not to create a following or to create a division. His purpose was to make Christ known. He said in verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross be emptied of its power. Instead of division, Paul says, our focus is the gospel. A focus that is not wisdom or flash. Paul believed that a gospel presentation based on wisdom or eloquence would empty the cross of its power. So many people focus on emotion or intellect, but by doing that, they're creating division in the body so often, and they're not allowing Christ to work. Only Christ can win the heart. Only the Spirit of God can make someone's message effective. Paul's strategy was earnestness, sincerity, and outpouring. He preached Christ crucified and allowed God to work. We as believers in Jesus Christ are not out to get results, to put notches on our belt, to put tick marks on our wall. We're out to get the word out that we know a person who brings salvation, hope, peace, and love, and everything else that everyone in the world is wishing for. Many people do not think they are qualified to share Christ, and so they ask the pastor to do it for them. But everyone has a story of God working in their life, and when that story is shared, God is glorified. I call that outpouring. God has poured into our hearts and we get to turn around and pour into others what God has given us. Paul says we are to have humility and unity so that we can focus on sincerity and outpouring. Instead of creating divisions, we show people Christ. My challenge for you today is a challenge that we're going to work on over the next couple months. Find some place, whether it's in your Bible, on the bulletin, on your bathroom mirror, some place that you will not erase 
and you will leave it there. You will write one person's name in that place. One person's name that you're going to invite to our Easter services. And I encourage you, once you write that person's name down, start praying for that person, that you would have an opportunity to share a spiritual conversation with that person. And that you can focus on living a life focused on Christ instead of everything else in order to bring about that conversation. In a month or so, we're going to revisit that name and build on that concept. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you that you are the God who calls us to be unified and that you are the God who gives us the ability to do that. Lord, I ask your forgiveness for all the times that we have let petty squabbles and our own sinful understanding of truth to stand in the way of perfect fellowship with your body, our brothers and sisters. Forgive us for lifting up our own understanding and our own intellect above what your word says. Forgive us for allowing our pride to get in the way of peace and reconciliation. Teach us what it means to live in unity so that you might shine through. Thanks, Father. Amen. If you'll stand with me one last time, for there is a Redeemer.